Hey, it's Eric at the top of the episode, and we have something very special for you today. We are doing a swap with our friends over at Talk at the Table, a new podcast for many-sided media. You might know them from 20-Sided Podcast and My First Dungeon, and now they have a show about tabletop RPGs and the media associated with them, talking to people who know what they're talking about. I was able to be their first guest, and being able to talk to Elliot and Brian was really wonderful. If you want to hear a conversation from people steeped in this field about how this media ticks, I think you're really going to like it. Honestly, I really like going on podcasts where I get to talk about Dungeons & Dragons and actual play media. It's like movie directors nerding out about movies, but there's a lot less of that, and it's in the actual play field, so I really prize the stuff. Before I turn it over to the episode, hello to our newest patrons, Brian Morell and Anna over at patreon.com slash gamesandfeelings, and shout out to producer-level patrons, Polly Burridge, Kelsey Duffy, and Peyton, who are all friends with Kelsey Duffy because she's cool, neat, and smart. See, I forgot your name last week, but now I remember it, Kelsey, and you get extra praise. Okay, please enjoy my episode of Talk at the Table, and remember to subscribe to their feed in the episode description. See you later. Hey, Elliot. Hey, Brian. What's the talk of the table today? This week, we are sitting down with Eric Silver, head of creative for the podcast company Multitude. Eric is a writer, audio producer, game designer, and teacher. You may know him from Tell Me About It, Games and Feelings, Next Stop, Join the Party, and who knows how many other podcasts by the time this airs. He is also, you may have heard the scuttlebutt. I've been hearing the scuttlebutt around Twitter. (laughs) And he is the self-proclaimed best GM in podcasting. So my first Uh question is, Eric, why are you saying this? Why am I saying this? Why are you saying this? How how can you back this this claim up? Okay. uh, Well, obviously, this is a work right now, and this is my full heel turn. So, uh, because it's true, and if you're listening to Join the Party, you absolutely 100% know it's true. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Great answer. (laughs) The 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 proof is in the pudding. I can do all of the things that every other DM and GM in podcasting can do. And maybe I'm, listen, maybe I'm not as good as their singular skills. Like, I'm not as good as coming up with Star Wars-style names as Austin Walker. And maybe I'm not as good at necessarily knowing every single page of the DM's guide and uh, of the Monster <laughs> Manual as Brian Murphy. And I certainly don't know how to m- write music like Griffin McElroy. But goddamn it, I can improv, make characters, and make game design stuff better and as much good as everyone else. I'm a five-tool player, baby. I don't just hit for power. I hit for di- <laughs> I hit to get on base. I can run. I can I can catch. I'm I'm all I'm the pitcher and the catcher. You can put me out there. I'm a two-way player. Just put me out there, baby. We're rocking 16s in every stat at least. <laughs> yeah. I'm full I'm I there's no there's absolutely no zero plus zeros in my stat. In the my heat stat chart block. is maxed out. It's just a big circle now. It's just stretching to the edges. <laughs> So, Eric, uh, we brought you on the show specifically because we wanted to talk about the actual play space as it exists now and what we think it's going to mm-hmm. look like in the future. Specifically because this is a pretty nascent art form. Like, this is a, a very new art form. And I know that you have a bunch of thoughts on it. So just to start us off, how would you describe the actual play space as it exists right now? That's a good question. I mean, it's been really growing I feel like it's been kicking off since 2016, 2017, when the Adventure Zone got going. The Adventure Zone balance, I still think, is the high watermark. And I feel like Critical Role is kind of like the the oceans rising. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's always gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And now it's just like this giant land vast that just it continues to exist. But I think that balance is when the form broke through. And then we've seen so many things come off of it, like not another D&D podcast. Uh, like Dimension 20, that being the backbone of like the entire uh, outfit of what Dropout was supposed to be. I, I still remember when the, the parent company of College Humor went down, Sam Reich bought it for $5 and we're just going <laughs> to give it the old college try. He bought the rights to College Humor and to run it and we're just going to do it. And now it's like a th- uh, it's like the backbone of an entire streaming service. But I think part of that is how actual play fits into what we're seeing with the creator economy right now, especially digital creator economy. 
We're seeing this with YouTube and with influencers at large, kind of like the old digital guard. And we saw this with blogging. Uh, Now we're certainly seeing this as it touches uh, podcasting in general and Twitch. And even what's happening with the writer strike is like the the people who control the levers of power of all of these things, whether they're the parent company or trying to chase the people who has this power, they're trying to do it and trying to make quick cash, right? And following for actual play, we are at this precarious moment where we could either run for the money and follow what's happening. This like, like trying to find Hollywood validation. So I mean, um, uh, my wife, Amanda, and a CEO of Multitude had a lot of experience with this with YouTube. She was there like in the mid 2000s and in oh, yeah. early 2010s when like all of a sudden everyone in YouTube had to like go film on a on a, like a set right. with like it's, it's just the same as a TV show or a movie. And like that's what that happened. And now we're seeing this happen now. It's like I, I'm thinking about this as like kind of the LAification of the space where in order to feel like the thing we're doing is legitimate and maybe and we're getting there from people consuming it and also people spending money on it. And we're feeling legitimized by looking towards traditional media spaces. And now we have this thing like the top, the, I, you would say the top part, the highest part, the most popular part of actual play right now is uh, this like LAification. Uh, so it's like, it's all, and it's a lot of it's the same. It's like actors and voice actors, you know, go onto a set in LA and they play a very rules light version of fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons. And um, they, and then it becomes something that's closer to like a rules light game that's something closer akin to long form improv. And like the tone varies all the way up here and all the way down here in terms of like hilarious, raunchy, raunchy jokes to I'm going to talk about trauma for an entire episode. <laughs> and the entire episode is going to make people cry. And it's about like dead parents or things or terrible things that happened to you when you were a child. It's just becoming this form that is almost like associated with successful actual play. And I don't know if that's the move, especially when I thought the whole point of making stuff online was you could do it anywhere. (laughs) And I just, so there's a lot of different things happening here, both in terms of game choice and who's on it and how it's done. But I think also like having the money to record it in LA is a luxury that a lot of other people don't need to make stuff. Um, especially as we're in like a work from home world, uh, when we're talking about like creation, content creation as a job. And I would say it's not necessarily a, like a condemnation of what people are doing in LA, but rather like, is this thing becoming a monolith that like now the only way you can do it is to go like this fully Hollywood space? Exactly. Cause it's like, listen, I'm not going to say that Dimension 20 and Critical Role aren't like wholly successful and made by incredibly talented people. That's part of the point that these got people got famous for being really good at this thing and then it ended up popping off. Um, but again, yes, I agree. It's like, why are we saying that this is the only way to make things happen? Um, and then are people starting to gravitate towards that, which is kind of the opposite of what all digital spaces should do is being something unique and new and coming into the space with that vibe. And we, we, we're certainly pulling on all the different strings because actual play involves the, the gameplay element that sets it apart from every other digital creation. Mm-hmm. So I feel like what you're talking about, this LAification feels like one pillar of what's, what's the present of actual play. But like the fact that multitude exists, the fact that what we're doing exists speaks to a different present that's also happening. What's your kind of mm-hmm. take on on this other part of podcasting, part of actual play podcasting that maybe isn't isn't getting as much focus, but maybe is starting to, and do you think it's heading more into the spotlight? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I'm starting by saying that that's kind of like the upper crust. Right. And like the, the um, what someone might assume it is from seeing it at first glance. But digging into the space, the majority of what's happening are people doing interesting things and running their own stuff. I mean, the whole thing that I talk about in terms of multitude is like the way to keep yourself going as a digital business is to treat yourself like a small business. You're not doing that. You are not like a singular actor or talent throwing yourself into the whims and hopefully someone's going to give you a job. And by treating yourself and knowing your finances and like knowing, like keep making yourself like an entity and that you're going to have jobs through that and then be doing things because you want them to because you think it's best. I think that's the way to go. Uh, Whether we're trying to like 
achieve incredible feats of sound design or playing interesting and new games or we're pushing or we're having uh, different types of folks on the shows other than like other than like um i guess like standard issue like traditional media like monolithic casting um we, you know we can pull this in so many different directions and a lot of people are it's just you know media is an intention game and when we're but when we're talking about like an art form it's really like which i think actual play is mm -hmm. i think it's just important to like be aware of what's happening especially because podcasting at large is still jonesing for crit for capital c criticism mm -hmm. and until we have that to flesh that whole thing out it's all it's up to like the artists to kind of prop it up you know you know like how uh how uh, painters used to like all have schools, which is really just like a bunch of them would hang out in their town. It's like, hey, let's all be the Pennsylvania Impressionists. Mm -hmm. I've been watching a lot of Antiques Roadshow lately, so that's a real <laughs> one. Um, so it's like, yeah, let's all hang out in one place and we all do these things and we make these things. And people know us as this group of people, uh, whether we're talking about literally our company, which I think, which we're trying to do with Multitude, or the various people who've been in and out of a show, like y'all have been doing on my first dungeon and the various other people out there. I mean, when I think about like Asians represent and three black halflings mm -hmm. and transplanter, like they, we need more voices in the space. And I talk about this a lot with Jasper Cartwright, who is my uh, permanent guest slash co-host on Games and Feelings. Is like, and he said it's like you know it shouldn't just have to be like wow uh, a show that is like busting in for representation. At some point, it should just be a show. But for the time being, we need we also need to be able to expand like what people's intentions are. And as we open up these voices, I mean, also, like, I don't know many Jews who do this as well. Right. So it's, and uh, it's just something that I've, I, that's really important to me uh, to keep talking about uh, and putting into my stories and also in the way that we, uh, we do plenty of stuff, whether these, like the story itself or these talkback episodes. Especially when you're talking about like the writer's strike and all these different things that are happening right now, there is a, I don't know, it feels like in the world there is a lot of like, I don't necessarily want to say like monopolies happening, but like there's a monopolization sure. of like monoliths being created and we're forgetting that like competition and diversity breeds creativity and interesting things. And so, Oh, who would have thought? I know, right? Again, wow. I thought that was the whole point of the, the invisible hand of the free market. Who would have <laughs> it is really fun to think about like, you know, LA and, you know, critical role and, and dropout and everyone out there has created a very, big and, and fun and vibrant community within their little niche, which has gotten popular and is now, you know, spread out over the United States and the world. I'm excited mm. to see that same thing happen in other communities. I mean, like, obviously I want it to happen yes. in New York because I'm in New York, but there is also a part of me that is very much like, I don't want it to just be, you know, coastal elites and like, you have to go to New York and LA because that's the same problem that we kind of have. No, I agree. I totally agree. But I'm excited to see how these, these kind of enclaves of specifically like actual play artists and players and, and producers start coming together in like the various regions of, of the, the country of the United States and in the world. It's, it's fun to see that kind of happen. Yeah. I think for what you're saying, Brian is like, again, I'm not hating on it. It's just, it's honestly, it's the top of the top. Like, mm -hmm. but again, we need to be aware of it as we form criticism from like, critics doing it like non-creators looking at this stuff and examining it or not even non-fans like looking at it uh and examining it and also us as artists need to be like hey this is a thing we're seeing let's try to avoid it so it's not all of this and i think that for this specifically as it's tied to like making sure you have enough money for an la set that's something that keeps a lot of people out for something for a, a like space we want to have keep growing and then of course like you know, not only using the game published by people who have are close to the Pinkertons, <laughs> I think would also yeah. be good too. Like, there's like there are so many for so many reasons. It shouldn't just be this one thing. Mm -hmm. That's more what I'm what, what I want to point out. And I think going out of your way to look for that stuff uh, is really important. And also like not waiting for like I don't know the McElroys to like show you what Blades in the Dark are. I think is also something that you can push yourself to do as a as like someone who really likes tabletop RPGs because you realize a lot of folks are stumbling into this stuff and reckoning with like the oh we shouldn't be playing D&D do you guys remember that when everyone was like oh we shouldn't be playing D&D mm -hmm. &D? and they mm -hmm. did that for like two seconds like the, everyone started doing that at the same time so you as listener who this this general you like are exploring games at the same way 
as all of these people. A massive thing that gets under my skin. It is this, this small, stupid, uh, like, bugbear of mine is, like, using uh, The Quiet Year by Avery Alder as a <laughs> world-building game. <laughs> it gets under my skin so much because the game is specifically made to be ephemeral. It's literally the end of the game is when the Frost Knights show up and they kill and destroy everything. Right. Your civilization that you just spent two hours on is gone. And yet there are so many other wor world building games out there that are great. Some I've great written a few of them games. and I've adapted a few of them. Like they're great, but it's like, we can't just use the one thing that the popular person showed us because it might not be the best thing. And that's all I'm saying is like, we got to be critical when we look at things that are super, super popular. I, I think there's also like some survival ship bias, right? It's like, mm -hmm. well, I'm popular and I'm doing this thing. So therefore it's the best no one is saying that explicitly, but I think that that's the implication right. to people who look at it. Um, and it's just something that we all need to be aware of, especially when we're trying to push this art form forward. We can't just be stagnant. So you kind of you kind of defined what what you see as like the LAification or the, the LA scene being often like heavy on improv, often rules light to some degree. Do you have... Like, oh, I would say all the time. I would say... Few, uh, okay. It's like almost in vogue to not know the rules. So then, you know, in in conversation with that, if you were to define a New York, you know, ethos or, or like idea, either as it is or as you envision it to be, what do you think that would look like? Uh, and how would it be different? I think new game systems would be really New York-y. Mm -hmm. It's like new game systems and using the game systems to create story. Um, I think is the main. Have you heard about this show called My First Dungeon? I have heard about it, folks. <laughs> why do you think that's why I'm here, my friends? Plug, because I plug. think I don't know if, like, I just don't think that rules like Fist of Edition is necessarily the best way to tell an actual play story. Mm. I I just don't. Mm -hmm. And you know, I'm not. This is. I think that there's also some tension because Fifth Edition is as it is. It's still v crunchy. And there are a lot of things you don't want to use. I don't want to use encumbrance in my actual play stuff. And 5th edition also is really good or at standing up on itself while taking things out and putting other things in, mm -hmm. which is why I think a lot of people do it on top of popularity. However, I think the thing that, that I really like about actual play that I really like to do is playing a game to see what happens. That's what I like. And like an improv, you you can yes and your way until the cows come home. But like the, we're, we literally have an engine and why don't we use it to see what happens next, mm. right? That's what I really like. Whether it's 5th edition or any of the other tabletop RPGs that exist or just coming up with new ones or, or doing other things. I mean, I love doing games within games to kind of like render what things are happening to understand it better for an audio medium. Uh, I came up with this uh, simplified ship combat thing that we're doing on Join the Party for our third uh, third campaign. It's a pirate. It's a pirate story set in a world of plant and bug people, mm -hmm. which has been really, really fun to do. And I made like a game where in order to figure out how ship combat works, it is based on Powered by the Apocalypse 2D6 rules of success, mixed success, and failure, but uh, you do it by playing rock, paper, scissors. Yeah. And it's really fun. It's really, really fun. We've played it on the mic once already. It's it's absolutely incredible. Um, because it's just like, it's using a game system to figure out what happens. And I think that figuring out what happens thing is something we really, has not been pioneered outside of Friends of the Table. And Friends of the Table sometimes might be a little bit too dense mm -hmm. in the way that like, good literature is too dense for someone sure. who's like, oh, I'm so tired. I just can't, I can't deal with this right now. Um, and you're like, I've only seen it in one place. And then we're, we're all trying to just push that forward. So I'd really like it if the New York school was really games focused, really focused on letting games, especially games that are not fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons, like lead the narrative forward. GMless games too. We were just talking about yeah. this. Yeah. GMless games are perfect for this. I would love to see more GMless games uh, on actual plays. Especially as they using different games to tell the same story in a campaign, that would also be really cool. I think you touched on something so interesting there with specifically calling out this ship to ship combat. I think what's really interesting and is an important perspective I want to pull out of that for people is that you said, I made a game within a game to do ship combat. You didn't say, I homebrewed fifth edition rules for ship to ship combat. And that is a that's a that's an important perspective shift, difference. I think, is to think about it. It's like when you're a GM and you when if you think of yourself just as a 5e GM and you make something like that, you're not making 
extra fifth edition rules. You're making a game, like you're doing game mm-hmm. design. And it's like thinking about that idea of what you're saying, that there are games for specific kinds of stories. There are games for specific parts of stories. I was thinking of um, World Ending Game by Everett Pipkin when you oh, were talking great one. there. Great choice. Great, yeah. great set of games. I remember reading through that and just like so many just like heartbreaking things that like you would have to try and force if you were ending a fifth edition game on your own, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, no, I loved what you said. And I think I would also love to see the New York school think that way. I mean, we're saying it a little bit. I mean, if we're talking about other people who I know in New York who are doing this, I mean, there's a ton of live shows at caveat, which mm-hmm. is in the lower East side, which is an incredible place. Great theater where they do like live versions of lots of different types of games. Uh, so that's kind of like turning that in one direction. And of course, like uh, there's some people like from, Burnt Cookbook Party, uh, which Jenna Steber from Polygon is a part of, who used to live in New York, uh, and hopefully will come back soon, where where they call themselves a D&D podcast, but they play Pathfinder, I find deeply funny. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of, and you know, of, of some people and friends of the table live in New York. I don't know, I would also like to have people come together. But I think that, like, maybe in New York, we don't feel like we need to do that as much. But I mean, everyone's, they're always going on each other's shows, and I feel like we should do that too. Oh yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I do really, I do get really excited about the idea of like, I, I love the idea of like building communities and like finding communities. And it is really exciting to just like even talk about it at this stage and just be like, what does the New York actual play community look like? like what What is that scene? What is that vibe? You know, it, it, in 20 years, they're going to be like, oh yeah, the New York impressionists or whatever. <laughs> uh, like, like what, what is that going to look like now? And, and how will it be seen in the future? Um, that's a, that's a, I'm, I'm maybe being a little bit high and mighty and in, in hoity-toity no, in that thought. But it, it's it's a fun concept to like play at and think about and try to define. Well, I think there's this interesting thing, and Eric, I'm a little curious about your opinion on this, is what you're talking about, Brian, is this idea of taking all of actual play as seriously as we take these shows that you would call the LAification. And I want to shout out Dr. Emily Friedman, because I feel like she does a lot of work in this of like creating actual play as an academic field mm, that yeah. that she studies in a very real way. And I feel like that legitimization is like the beginning of what you're talking about, the creation of like criticism in a real way or critique, sorry, in a real way. Yo, capital C criticism. You're, capital you're right, C criticism. Sure. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I'm curious, just like, do you think that the act of taking the medium more seriously has power? To, to make these changes happen? Absolutely. Seeing it as a thing that can exist on its own, I think is important instead of like an extension of the entertainment machine. I think this is a thing I think about a lot in terms of podcasting. So just to move back a little bit in, in terms of like, you know, podcasting is kind of like in this middle, like if we're putting on our Ben Franklin glasses mm-hmm. and we're like put from National Treasure and like we're putting on all the lenses <laughs> that go on there, it's like if I zoom all the way out and talk about the creator economy and this middle one is podcasting. And I think about it a lot because it's my job, but also I really feel like podcasting has been speed running this entire digital thing that's been happening in the yeah. 21st century. Like what we've seen all the way back from the original influencers through blogging. Uh, I went to NYU and I was really, really hoping I was going to get a job at Gawker when I got out of college. And of course, as soon as I got out of college, they were like, no jobs ever existed. What are you talking about? You know what I mean? And then we're seeing this in YouTube and uh, and then it's progressed into streaming and podcasting. Podcasting is very interesting because it doesn't have an algorithm and Twitch and streaming is similar, but it's kind of like as we're seeing, it has to come through a company. So that's why Twitch and this whole thing with Kick is getting really interesting. So it's like podcasting is kind of the only thing that's out on its own, right? And especially people have the deepest connection to them. When you look at the highest number, like the top 100 Patreon getters. They're all podcasts. Yeah, there are the most number of people of them are podcasts. And podcasts also get like the most money per capita, like uh, or most money per patron amount sort of thing. So podcasts, people get really connected to their podcasts. If we start to treat the things that we do in podcasting, like in general, if we treat podcasting as important and we're saying, I deserve money for my work and I'm going to make something and I'm going to create an audience that's going to give me that money. And then I'm also going to like maybe sell ads or get make a good Patreon. And maybe I'm going to do some B2B stuff. I'm also going to edit on the side or I'm going to make shows for other people. I mean, that's what we're doing for Multitude is like we're taking ourselves seriously enough We have the Podcast Collective, which is the shows where we all kind of just stand next to each other and lean on each other, and we have Slack, and we tour together. And then we have a studio where we make stuff for other people. 
like uh, we produce uh, the sports podcast for Defector, The Distraction, The Defector, another very good example of this. And we also sell ads, which is important because we're get, we're arming people with the ability to sell, to make money themselves without giving up a part of themselves to a big company or to um, a network, which also just kind of wants them for their IP and is kind of a middleman for this whole thing. So I think that as you take yourself seriously as something that exists, as an entity that exists and like a digital, um, like, as I said before, as a small business, then we can move forward. When I'm in podcasting, it's funny how many, how few people say I'm a podcaster or a podcast producer as their job title. Mm. Uh, in general, regardless if we're talking about actual play or a comedy podcast or a fiction podcast, any of that stuff. Very few people would say I'm a podcaster. They'd say like I'm a writer or I'm a comedian or I'm a voice actor or something. And I think that actual play is kind of is similar to that in that a lot of people would say I'm an improv or a comedian, a, a voice actor. Uh, I'm trying to get something made and I'm doing this for fun on the side right. at the same time. So once we but once we take the medium itself as what it should be, that it's a thing on its own worth having that people love. Then we can keep moving it forward. Then it's not just a means to an end for eventually I'm going to be um, a voice actor in a big video game. I mentioned to you earlier, I was just on your podcast this morning, uh, Games of Yeah, Feelings. I saw Brian this morning in person. <laughs> so, so this is just a continuation of a podcast. So you know, we'll link to that episode because I think this is coming out after that. So you can follow the whole trail of things and see what breadcrumbs we've laid from one to the other. But I mentioned uh, the, the podcast company Q Code, yes. uh, which makes extremely high-end podcasts that are very good. Uh, and I listened to a bunch of them, but the problem is all of them ended after one season because they're just yeah, kind they're of... they're all fiction, too. They're all, they're they're all, all fiction. fiction. Such a, they're all fiction. Such a, I have such a, like you said, a, a bugbear about Quiet Year for World Building. I have a bugbear about Q-Code. Like, Q-Code and, 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 and I'm with you, for, dog. I'm with you. For anyone who doesn't know, Q-Code, they, they make very high-quality podcasts. They're very good. The problem is their business model is based on the idea of selling these podcasts to film and television to make them into you know, more traditional media. The company was literally founded by former agents. And the whole thing was getting actors on these scripts and then offering them like producer and executive producer credits. If they would do the podcast, then if it got made, they would already be in there as a producer and executive producer, which is why Tessa Thompson, mm -hmm. uh, Rami uh, Malek, Brian Cox, Cole Sprouse, yes, why they would do, why would they would, would do all of these things in the first place? Here's the funny thing about Q code. Recently, they realized that's not just a business model, and they've started creating conversational weekly podcasts that create community. There you go. Who would have thought? But but, thought? but that goes directly to your point. Like this is a company that, rather than valuing the thing for what it is, they decided to view it through the lens of something else, and ultimately it didn't work. And I mean that's not going to always be true. I'm sure there are times when that does work. But in I don't general, think it's a company business model. I think it happens once in a blue moon. I to right. say uh, we we met up with the guy who ran Tenderfoot. Uh, at a conference, he said this on stage at a conference from, I think, in 2019, there were people who made um, Atlanta Monster, if you remember that true crime, that hit true crime show. Oh, yeah. Basically, he was like, oh, we're just going to keep making stuff and they're going to adapt it into true crime documentaries. And then he literally said, well, that's not a business model because that it only happened once. And then we had to figure out what we wanted to do. It, it literally, it is not a business model. You can't just do that forever and wait for Hollywood to come knocking on your door is going to be the way you make money right. constantly. You're not Taylor Sheridan. And even today, Taylor Sheridan said a lot of stuff and he has a lot of problems <laughs> going on in his life. I would like to dig in a little bit too, because I'm my, my guess is a lot of people who are listening to this are maybe interested in some degree about making an actual play themselves or getting into podcasting or thinking of this more as a business. So I kind of want to drill down uh, with you a little bit. Oh, I kind of want to drill down with you a little bit. I just said that and it hey. felt... The whole time I was like, oh, that was like podcast. I know it was that a was real wild. bummer. Oh, so I, I, I want to talk Mike about Bigley is going to come on later until I know, right? <laughs> but I want to talk a little bit more about kind of the specifics of what is different when you're when actual play is your job and like, mm -hmm. like the difference between a home game and then game you're recording for people, but also, you know, to, to the, whatever degree you're comfortable talking about the specifics of multitude, what that looks like in terms of like, if you want to make this your career, what kind of metrics do you need to start looking at? Like, what kind of numbers do you need to start hitting for that to really be a realistic thing? And what should you be doing until that point? Incredible question. The thing that I say a lot is that you, the one thing we got to take over from traditional offices are KPIs. KPIs, 
uh, who cares what they stand for? It's just goals. You should set goals for yourself that are milestones that you can actually look at. Because what I say a lot is that downloads don't actually mean anything. It's shh, about what shh, downloads... Don't tell anyone. You're not supposed well, to we tell anyone well, that. Well, I wouldn't know because you can't see anyone's download number, so everyone's lying, right? Like, right. who knows? The downloads don't actually matter. It's what you can do because of those downloads. Mm-hmm. Whether we're talking about Patreon money, whether we're talking about the ability to sell ads, whether we're talking about your stature is high enough for you to go on other stuff or to get other jobs that would get you. You can, or you can use something as a resume piece, which would get you a job doing like uh, editing for someone or producing for someone else. It's about what it can do. So the, I think it's two things is one, let's make some actual metrics that matter instead of saying like, Oh, you need a, a thousand, you need 10,000 downloads an episode. Yeah, that's bandied around number, but like that doesn't really mean anything. And I think it's a little bit, it, it just bums people out because of how it's a it's a pretty rare numbered hit. Right. So um, what I would say is, one, get into your artistic practice, keep putting it out. And then two, make up some goals for yourself that are actually tangible based on milestones. Like as soon as we get our first piece of fan art, I'm going to feel like this was worth it. Or as soon as we get to do our first live show, I'm going to feel like this is worth it. Not... We're going to sell it. Not we're going to sell out a room. If you want that to be your goal, that's one that's a little bit farther down the road. But just like enough momentum that you have enough time to do that and plan a live show and do it and then like get that audio. That's a goal in it itself. And then three, like then you can start looking at your look at the money that can that can come in from you doing this. And like what it's like being a freelancer. You just got to look at your budget and see, like, can I keep doing this and also live my life? with the amount of money that I need to live my life. I just wanted to say that I love that because I I will admit, like when you first say the thing of something we need to steal from traditional work world is KPIs, my, the artist in me has like a shiver go through my body where I'm like, ah, KPIs. But I want to say that I love that one of the things you threw out there is like, that might be first fan art. And I feel like that's like, and that, and that's, you know, it's just like, it's, I think that's a good thing for people to realize is that your goals don't have to start hard monetary, hard numbers. You honestly, you know, you might not want to start there. You know, you might want to start with the ones that are going to make you feel good and are going to make you feel like you're doing something that's worthwhile as an artist, if that's your vibe. Eventually, you'll have to worry about numbers and money, or at least money. Um, but like it is, I like that you you set out sort of an intrinsic KPI. Um, I just gonna say it just in case anyone is curious. KPI stands for Key Performance Indicators. Thank I know you. it just I means totally goals, came with, but, but I totally <laughs> went out of my head. I totally <laughs> forgot what it stood for. There, there was a whole point where I was like, "The listeners gotta know." Just, just in they case, I don't know. want anyone clicking away to Google this shit. No, Key Performance Indicators. You're 100 right. I mean, honestly, well, that's what I'm trying to say is like, Twitter followers, Instagram followers, TikTok followers, download numbers, YouTube views. It's just an, it's really just a number. It's a counter. And yes, you get to display it publicly sometimes so people feel jealous. But like, again, it does, you can't go to a store and say, I have 10,000 Twitter followers, right? I I said this story a while ago, but there was a TikToker who had like, you know, a million followers on TikTok, tens of millions of views every time, and went to a like, you know, like a VidCon type convention and had a booth expecting to get like swarmed and had literally no one show up. And exactly. it's because it's ultimately like, so what, they didn't what do build you a community. Have? What do you actually have? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So when, you, when we're talking about, I would rather talk about money and like allowing artistic people to own their own financial future. Mm. And like another thing about traditional media is convincing artists that not knowing about money and finance and business is like cool. Right. Mm-hmm. Like only the nerds and only the suits in the studio are going to need to know about money. It's like, but if you're going to take yourself seriously, you got to be aware of your own budget. So, again, the much easier thing is, and again, I don't know why Patreon took away goals, but let's imagine they still existed. Right. It's like, if I get a thousand dollars a month from this thing, I can quit my job and do this full time. I have a budget that I've planned out that's like in a spreadsheet or on a whiteboard somewhere. And literally, if I could keep doing this, I wouldn't have to do this other job or I can get do this plus a part time job plus other stuff like being a being a freelancer or cobbling together a bunch of jobs is 
is the way that so many people live right now. And especially it's helpful when you live not in New York City or LA. Yeah. Right? Like you could live anywhere else. And I think this is good advice for anybody, but especially if you're looking to get into an artistic field or in a freelance field or trying to make a change from like, I'm working this job, I want to learn this. Sit down with your bank account real quick, Mm -hmm. calculate your burn. That means figure out how much money is going out of your account every month. That means rent, subscriptions, groceries, subway fare, gas, all that stuff. Figure out what that number is and realize that really that's the number you have to hit. I mean, you want to add some savings and stuff, but if you can then augment that number to make it a little bit smaller, all of a sudden your goals can get easier. But if you have that very, very clear number in your mind, a lot of this becomes simpler because now it's it's, yeah. it's not nebulous. It's like, all right, I need $4,000 a month. If I have $4,000 exactly. a month, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also want to say, Brian, I'm glad you said burn because I also like saying KPI. It's like, yeah, let's take some tech jargon that only like guys named Florfton <laughs> are allowed to use and apply it to yourself. Like use those yeah. terms for yourself, for your own thing. Right, right. And I think this all comes back to like, take it seriously. Like if this is what you want to do, do it. And, and and But take it, you know, use all the seriousness that comes with a small business. No one says like, yeah, I'm going to try it. I mean, I'm sure people do, but uh, no, I'm just going to try this, you know, business idea. It's like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a small business owner. Here's the things I have to do. Here's my checklist. Here's my budget, et cetera. Or at least people who are taking it seriously. Treat this the same. I would also love to give a special shout out to the people who do actual play stuff as a fun hobby on the side. Because like, also, if you don't want this to be your full time job, don't do it. Right. Like for sure, do the do the thing you're paid to do at your job, and then you get to record and make some art with your friends on the side. Also good. All it's also good. You know, it's like no one's artistic job is also just perfect. Too. It's not like. I mean, like the only person who gets to do that is like Martin Scorsese, and he made movies about that. He made movies for like a kajillion years, right? Like, still, it's still a job, and we still have to do boring stuff. So it's like, do the job you want. If you don't want to do this full time, don't do it full time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that that's also being very realistic mm-hmm. about everyone's life right now, and not trying to be like, "Wow, leave your job right now," because right. all you got to do is blah blah blah. It's like. Figure out what's good for you and take your take whatever you're doing seriously. You got to live. Especially as if yeah. it's in your life. And I think it's important. It's like, listen, if you're painting for fun, you're still exploring art. And I think that's what I wish we would take. I wish we would continue to take actual play seriously as an art form. So even if you're fucking around, it's still an art form. And tabletop play, you know, and playing these games, playing different games at home, that's also Mm -hmm. has its own value. Mm -hmm. Just because it's fun, I think there's a level of fun involved that's inherent to games so that we don't take actual play and tabletop play as seriously. Because, like, doing 24 hours of improv on the at the Dell Close Marathon feels not fun. It's like a rush and it's it's humor and comedy is important, but like since fun is at the core of games, I feel like there's an ability what you Elliot what you're touching on of it of not having to take it seriously because it's a game, right? You know. The thing I want to touch on is if someone's interested in starting a show, whether that be for profit, for fun, but they're looking to put it out there and they want I feel like no matter what, if you're putting something out there, you want a couple of people to listen to it. Oh, for sure. So if if you were starting Join the Party today versus six years ago, what would be different? Like what is different in the environment today versus six years ago? And what would you do differently in terms of like, I would not play D&D or I would play D&D or I would do this, I wouldn't do this. If I was starting Join the Party today, I think we would have a different name because I think the intention and also just a whole different intention. Mm. We started joining the party in 2017 in the wake of the Adventure Zone to kind of teach people how to play Dungeons & Dragons, getting familiar with it. Because at the time, like, there was only one type of nerd and it was like Will Wheaton, you know, Mm. (laughs) in like 2016. And it's like, well, other people like this and don't know who Tom Bodette is and can't do a riff on him for an extended period of time. There's a whole episode of the Adventure Zone. They talk about Tom Bodette. I still don't know who Tom Bodette is. I still don't know who he is. (laughs) And I think that that was always really important of like making sure everyone is welcome and learning this thing, allowing all nerds in. And I think that this was where we were at in 2016, 2017. And we're in a very different place in terms of representation in 2013. Mm. So, but our intentions would be different. The name, Join the Party, was attached to that intention of bringing people in and teaching them the game, right? 
I would probably play a different game or I would have like a totally different gambit. I would do something. I would do something that is different from the LAification, right? I would do something totally different that you can only do as the people starting the show now. Is that a different game? Is that uh, is that a different cast? Is that like going at, at things totally differently or or trying to do a totally different genre? Yeah, maybe, probably. I, I'd have to do a survey and reset the whole thing. But trying to be as unique as possible would be, and doing something in a different way would be really important. I think also having people in different places is, would be really important. It was really important at the time to record in the same place mm. when we were starting in 2017. Right. Not so now. Not so now. No. So I yeah. think our cast would also be different in terms of who we could be a part of because who weren't just like my friends nearby me in, in New York City in 2016, 2017. I think what's different in the environment, again, is the, is chasing after what's big. Because again, big only meant like this one popular show and now it's kind of like pushing against a whole genre of it. Mm. Um, and then pushing against an entire genre and now you can kind of do a lot of things in a lot of different directions. I want to maybe interrupt here with a little segment we want to try out with this show Please, um, yeah. called Net Ones Are Still Fun. And you mentioned you started in 2017. I'm curious if there is a failure you would want to share in this in these last six years and what you learned from it in your kind of actual play journey. Yeah. Um, failure or a misstep. It doesn't have to have that capital F failure feel to it. Sure. I mean, listen, uh, a player we had in campaign one is no longer with the show. And uh, now Julia, uh, Julia Shafini, who's a player, has stepped in there. Our player like wasn't able to fully take on what we wanted to do because we wanted to take it seriously. And during the party was like the backbone of a lot of what we do here in Multitude. Like Amanda, Brandon, and I are the executive team of Multitude. And a lot of the stuff we learned from during the party, we apply to our business at large. But I think that, you know, we sometimes we waited too long to make it happen. Mm -hmm. So if something's like kind of in your crawl professionally and i'm for both sides from from us and from him uh we both eventually we were just like hey you got to take a step back and he was like yeah i got to take a step back and i wish we had just done it sooner instead of mm. being afraid of what would happen again we didn't have a lot of experience under our belts doing creative stuff professionally so we didn't know what would happen but we were just both really honest with ourselves and i think that if you want to make a major change in terms of like owning up to a mistake or um, like, or having to change someone out or trying to do, having to make a real big pivot, do it sooner rather than later. Do it as soon as possible. Cause the longer you let it sit, the worse you'll feel and being like, I wish I hadn't suffered through doing this as slowly and subtly and like drawing it out as possible. Mm -hmm. Great advice. I, I mean, we're, listen, we saw this recently. Did you see like Starlight Tales was playing a game of, I think, Dungeon Worlds recently oh, and they yeah, didn't yeah. know about the terrible guy who made it and they're like oh we're just not gonna do this we're gonna, gonna trash it we're doing something else we're, uh, we didn't know we should have done the research and we're throwing it out and like listen those folks are like tiktokers who made an actual play show so they're younger but like what incredible foresight to be like we didn't know we should have known we're trashing it that's smart doing mm -hmm. you get in front of it and, and owning the fact that you were that you were ignorant or I, that's not even the right word, like owning the fact that you missed the knowledge. And then when people told you, you're like, uh-oh, and then you figure it out. Right. Didn't double down. Didn't wait right. to see how people and now, reacted when it came out. they're immediately pivoting and doing yeah. something different. It's not even like they waited. Like, I think a really good example is the whole Bean Dad thing that happened to my brother, my brother, and then me on, Ju on January 1st of like a few years ago. Bean Dad? Do you, okay, John, this is so stupid. John Roderick, uh, who made the theme song of My Brother, My Brother, and Me for a while. Okay. He also, like, is a podcaster, and he did a sh he was doing a show with Ken Jennings for a long time. Okay. Um, he did a Twitter thread where basically he punished his daughter for something involving oh. with, with holding beans or something, yeah. and he was the main character of Twitter for, uh, like, January 1st. It was really funny. And that. then, like, so they removed him, and they removed the song, but they had, but my my brother, my brother and me had a filler song for an extended period of time, a very long time. It was just like some little ditty that Griffin put together. And then eventually, when they got this song, this like pop song from Montaigne, who is this Australian pop star, everyone was like, oh, "It kind of works, I guess." But it's because of that time in between with the filler and right. needing to, and I know that this was like it was an emergency situation. But the longer you have the filler, 
the longer it is for other people to notice that you are not solving the problem. And also they probably had to, they sat in it for a long time and they probably waffled being like, I don't really know what to do. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, the if there is a problem, you should take it head on and deal with it. And then people will forget and they'll be like, good. Hey, a lot of people, the haters are just going to be haters, but a lot of people are going to be like, good job taking care of it. Let's move on. Right. And I think the other lesson to learn from that is something I've talked about on My First Dungeon a, a couple of times and in our newsletter, the 20-sided newsletter, about if you're going to enter into really any creative endeavor with someone, but specifically like an actual play podcast that does take a significant amount of work and time, even if you're mm-hmm. just a player, be very upfront with people about what that time commitment is and like try to make sure everyone's as on the same page as possible so you can kind of like cut these problems off at the pass before they happen. Because if you can do that, if you're like, okay, here's what I'm trying to do. We're trying to take this seriously. This is the time commitment per week. This is what this looks like. This is what I need from you. Does that work? The more information you can give to everyone up front, the better chances you have of none of these things going wrong. For sure. And that's another reason why I'm the best DM in podcasting. I'm really clear. Oh, he brings it back around. (laughs) We love a callback. That's me. That's one of my tools is being clear-eyed about creative work. Clear-eyed, open hearts. Am I right? You can't lose. I also want people to know that, like, you. this is my heel turn. It's a marketing. It, this is a marketing ploy, folks. <laughs> oh, no shame. No shame. Come on. Don't caveat. Don't caveat. I'm not. I'm, we're, I'm on the talk. This is, like, 50 minutes later in the podcast. <laughs> I yeah. I'm not caveating. I'm explaining it now much later. Mm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, it's fun, man. I like I like telling me. It's been a lot of fun telling people that. No one has, like, super called me on it. I think y'all haven't even super called me on it. You were just like, so why is that? Which is a really kind <laughs> way to say it. Only one person has called me on it and was like, oh, what about um, Brennan Lee Mulligan? I'm like, hey, you can see that guy's face all the time. That doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine if you got on our podcast and we when like we rolled up and Brian's like self-proclaimed best gym in podcasting and I just chimed in with like, who the fuck do you think you are? And like that's the energy we we open this podcast with. <laughs> if you did that one, even if you were joking, that's really funny. Here's the thing: if someone actually challenged me, I would say, like, I mean, I touched on the thing. I've been thinking about this a lot. I really do. I love sports. I love sports. I love basketball. I'm a pretty big fan of football, except for all the other stuff. Like, but I love following sports. I love sports drama, blah, all that stuff. And I think that we underestimate as creatives that we have tools or we have certain skills. From how much I've grinded tape of the medium, I can really see people's strengths and weaknesses as uh, DMs. And I think that I have the whole package, but it's like I, I grab stuff and I get better. I have worked a lot of a lot on my um, location descriptions. Mm. I've worked a lot on my voice, on my accents and my voices, because after watching Barry, I got really into like a Bill Hader uh, mm. deep dive rabbit hole. Sure. And I'm like... He's doing impressions of guys on Turner Classic Movies and on Dateline. That's crazy. I love that. And it kind of like unlocked impressions and voices for me and taking voices from impressions only I like and applying it to other things. Like it kind of unlocked it for me. I'm just trying to work on different parts of my game. And there are things that I'm I'm enhancing the best parts that I think I'm good at, which is like larger world building and game stuff. And I'm really trying to work on the other stuff. So I just like, I feel like I'm grinding tape. I feel like I'm in the gym. I'm really, I'm really excited for the time sometime in the future when like halfway through an actual play podcast, they you cut to commercial, but before the commercial goes, like the sideline reporter comes up to you and goes like, all right, so how do you think it's going so far? I noticed you guys are down uh, five to three right now. Uh, but what, what do you think? What do you think you're going to change in the locker room? Uh, hey, thanks, Michelle Tafoya. Uh, I think the way... <laughs> I think that the way, first of all, uh, there is a sideline reporter for the NBA playoffs. Her name is Allie LaForce, and that is a motherfucking NPC name. I that goddamn a, love it. Sure. Uh, thanks, thanks, Allie. Uh, I think that, you know, we just got to keep our eyes open. We got to keep the rolls rolling. I think we just are getting a little bit too afraid of being worried of what the dice say, and we got to tell the dice what we want and then let the let the cards fall as they may. All right. Thanks very much. Uh, good luck out there. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks, Allie. <laughs> And that was Eric Silver, the self-claimed best GM in podcast. And we'll be right back after this break. Brought to you by Clearasil. Kenny, I was just thinking that this Eric Silver fella is doing—he's really putting himself out there. What do you think, Shaq? I think he's a really good guy. Thanks, Shaq. 
Oh, uh, oh, I love it. Um, all right, I'm going to pivot from that bit to a related bit, <laughs> but but a serious yeah. question. So in in that bit, I hypothesized on actual players in the near future. So my real question is, what do you think? So we've been talking about actual players and where they're going, where they're going to end up. What do you think we're going to be looking back at in five years? Like, what will five years from now actual play look like? And you could define that either as what it will look like if this current kind of trend of the monolithic LA nature of the game continues, or if things begin to splinter and this like New York actual play scene really takes hold and kind of uh, comes into its own. You know, it's funny. I think it does come down to what happens at Wizards of the Coast. Uh, I'm going to predict they're going to beef it because uh, Amanda and I love looking at their earnings reports and they seem to be turning really hard. Just obviously they're saying that they want to turn Dungeons and Dragons into a a content creation brand like Mm -hmm. Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings. That's Mm -hmm. a quote. I didn't make that up. That's literally a quote. Right. Which is tied into the Dungeons and Dragons movie and also tied to the fast channel that you're talking about. Yes, they're making like a. Uh, the, the the things are basically it's like freebie right that's mm-hmm. a fast channel and they're doing just Dungeons and Dragons lifestyle content which include this sh- this improv show made by developed and, and hosted by Matthew Lillard and stuff which have a lot of the same D&D people on it um, I, I think that they're it, that they're going to kind of stretch the brand and then whatever happens with one D&D slash sixth edition it might break the whole thing because I wonder if the actual play crest started because fifth edition was so much more usable than 3.5 and 4 mm. and i wonder if six if the thing that happens is like it almost feels like people come to your house and burn your fifth edition books and make <laughs> you buy the next one right which just happens in all editions in of tabletop rpgs so i wonder if the, if the one D rollout plus if wizard of the coast and hasbro continue to squeeze every dollar out of the like D lifestyle mm-hmm. rag mm-hmm. and i think they might so i don't know if like this thing if people are eventually going to be like this does feel a little bit processed i feel like i'm moving away from the deep relationship that i had with these characters and players and dms and npcs that that got me there in the first place uh, and then we'll just see, we'll continue to hopefully we'll continue to see it mature. I mean, we'll see how people interact with digital things, but it seems like podcasting and relationships with people are here to stay. And I wonder if we're going to start seeing just a fracturing of the space, which again is fine. No one is saying that everyone it's what remember when um the, the that Twitch leak happened and we saw mm. that Critical Role got the most so subs money. out of everyone on Twitch. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't need that to be happy. I think there's going to be more fracturing and people are going to find their audience more, which is not a bad thing because that's all art is like more schools and the whole thing is going to develop. I don't know if it's going to ride a wave like it used to, but I think that like people are going to play different games. People are going to do live shows in different places. I also wonder if like the popular shows are going to fold in five years. Like, I don't know. What if, uh, what if Murph, what if Murph and Emily Axford go write a movie? Are they going to keep doing NADPOD? What if Caldwell starts, starts, uh, what if Caldwell like starts a cartoon and has a cartoon on Disney and he's like show running it? I don't I'm just throwing this out there. Like right. this I don't know anything and who knows if that's even what they want. But like what if, right? They they maybe they got to go do something else because like the podcast even though the podcast is wonderful, they're they want to go do something else. And I wonder if the shows that we love so much are even going to be there and maybe if another show is going to rise, one that has staying power and isn't just like celebrity backed. I also want to see what happens when like Rude Tales starts putting out regular episodes again. Um, and I think we'll just see. We'll just we'll just keep seeing what happens and see if more people are going to make more stuff and who's going to rise and fall in the space. I'm curious because the other perspective that I bring to this is like as a game designer. And I'm curious how you think game designers play into that vision sure. and like how game designers should think about the actual play space. Or if game designers should think, if in your opinion, game designers should think about the actual play space. Mm, I think that more and more games are aware that it's going to be played or that people can enjoy it from both from people being inside and outside of it. Mm-hmm. I think Yazuba, is that how you pronounce Yazeba. it? Yazuba. No, they specifically say they don't care how you pronounce it. Oh, thank, wonderful. Oh, of course. Shout out to Jay <laughs> Dragon. Um, Yazeba's Bed and Breakfast is a really good example. It's a really good actual play show, but it's made for a bunch of different reasons. It's made for a ton of different reasons. I think that that will be a factor, but... You, I think it's another thing to be aware of, right? 
um, which is just like the the functions of the art form will help, uh, will kind of like guide how art goes, right? I don't have like a good example of that, but you know, uh, <laughs> but I think that's, I think definitely think that's true. And listen, people might start making games just to be played on actual plays. Well, that's kind of just happened with uh, the Critical Role show, uh, the Kindle Yeah, but Obscura. like, yeah, but that's so that they can wean themselves off, wean themselves off of D and D, and they don't sure. have to do Pathfinders. Like, they're making it so that they own the means of production, and therefore, because they're a large content conglomerate first, like a lot of that stuff seems pretty safe, so that they can play it on actual play shows. Mm-hmm, right. So, right. I, you know, it's all about intention, right? If people are going to make, they are kind of making it to own the i own their own IP, right? But you think game designers might get to the point where, without a destination to play it in mind, they might be designing a game, being like, "I'm designing this, thinking it would be really cool to play on an yeah. actual play." I think that yeah, some people will keep that in mind. I think that if that's your ultimate and only goal, it's going to fail. But, like, that is certainly going to be something that people are going to keep in mind for the better. Absolutely for the better. Something that's narratively snappy is good at the table and also on the microphone, right? And I think we're going to have even more and more narratively snappy games or, like, narratively fulfilling games that fit in both the the at-home session and the the actual play episode are one and the same. So I, I'm just, I love this. I love that I'm just like artistic philosoph- artistically philosophizing. Like I'm talking about the God, like F. Scott Fitzgerald meeting Ernest Hemingway in Paris. This is but we're, ta- we're taking it seriously and we're manifesting that seriousness. Goddamn right. Yeah. We, we want New York to be the next movable feast, okay? We, we, don't, need, we don't need Paris. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, that's, God, I don't want it to be the next movie. I want it to be something else. I want it to be something else. Yeah, yeah. We I want it to that. be when, like, when everyone went into Quentin Tarantino's video store in, like, the 19, in, like, the L- L- 1980s, and they all happened to be filmmakers. You don't want us to all just be hanging out at some uh, woman's apartment all the time? What? Oh, my, I just forgot her name. The... A uh, woman who ran like the expat I know salon. exactly what you're talking about. Uh, all oh, uh, the names uh, are uh, Gertrude, Stein. Gertrude Stein. Gertrude Stein. We yeah. can just all we can just do the, like the old Algonquin round table uh, at the Multitude Studios. Just people <laughs> that, just come honestly, in and that hang out. Tight as hell. See? Now, I, and I want that. See? Back, back, back in. in. Back like, in. <laughs> I just don't want to be d- disaffected by World War One first. Oh, okay. Oh, that's yeah. Fair, that's fair. Maybe not. And then, and then I have to like check my penis if it's okay with <laughs> with. <laughs> With sure, Ernest sure, sure. Hemingway, if he has to like tell me, it's like, good job, old sport. I'm like, nah, I don't want that. That's fair. Yeah, there's, there's some. <laughs> yeah, it's a different time. Were you expecting this to come up on this episode? Oddly, yeah, I can send you our, our prep document. Uh, yeah, I've got <laughs> it's a whole in bit. in bold on the outline, yeah. Yeah, Ernest uh, Hemingway, Hemingway looks at my genitals. Eric's penis, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, I've already pre-made the show notes, and I've, I've linked uh, a movable feast if you want to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> it's on its third printing. I feel like people should just know about it. Yeah, we're we're the second lost generation. We're <laughs> yeah, lost exactly, because right. actual play is kind of like we can't. There's nothing really good to listen to right now. Love it. Um, question for you, and this we're, we're kind of yeah. moving into the end of our, our conversation here. So I, I wanted to give you a chance uh, to shout out some of the unsung heroes of your work. So who else is working at you with multitude? Anyone you want to shout out that you think is doing like great work right in your immediate sphere that people may not be as aware of. I mean, absolutely. I got to shout out the other people who are part of Join the Party. Uh, Amanda McLaughlin, CEO of Multitude, and also has really come into her own as a character creator and as a as a player. She didn't know how to play D&D until we got on a microphone. Uh, and her nice. characters are great. Uh, especially, we've been doing something, we did something called the One Shot Derby in the beginning of the year, where we basically did character creation of three games, and then the audience voted on which one they wanted to see an actual game of. So seeing her characters like for that. those three, we ended up playing a Battle of the Brontes. Have you? Did you see that? It was a one pager that was no. floating around by mm-hmm. Oliver Darkshire. Oh, I've seen Oliver's stuff. Yeah, yeah, and it's using that say his like same game system of like checking things off and rolling a one d six and that thing. Basically, I made an expansion to it to like kind of flesh it out for actual play. And Amanda's character for that is one of the most unhinged characters I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, we love she is, is is wild. A uh, battle of the Brontes is like you're playing as the Bronte, a uh, quasi Bronte sisters, and you're trying to write a literature, a novel 
uh, that's going to be loved by literature forever, uh, but you might die or your novel gets burned a lot in the process. They're mm. all playing sisters, and she played the youngest sister named Angel, who is perfect <laughs> and so mean. <laughs> Classic Bronzies. Classic Bronzies. Um, I think Julia Shavini is at the same caliber as Emily Axford and Lou Wilson in terms of play. She intentionally puts herself into situations that are uncomfortable for her and, and for her character. But I think that, and I don't know if she does not intentionally, but it's always like the best narrative choice. Mm. For example, this is, it's so, so hard to talk to get to basically um, I made a whole skill tree, a video game skill tree for our downtime episodes. And we were, Ooh. she was like, powering up i'll show you this whole thing it was really fun to do i was very inspired by like control and seeing seeing the best rpg skill trees uh from that so basically she was like giving a bonus to our uh, the ship's doctor who was just kind of like a med student and then we had to give them like a make them level up and give them a a that's fun a concentration yeah yes and like the choices were like natural black magic uh very by the book doctor and one was religious and Julia's character has a lot of like religious trauma in her background. And she also, but she chose religion anyway. And it's mm -hmm. been so grating to her current character that he like picked up the book that she was running, the religious book that she was running away from. It was like, huh, I really like this. Also, my religion is not just reskinned Catholicism. <laughs> it, it's called um the path of cultivation it's like a really strict karmic religion where mm. you have to be like fully responsible for all of your choices because eventually it will play out karmically with reincarnation so everyone is like super super hard on each other and if you make a mistake it's like well you're an idiot you're gonna come back as a pig congratulations and now that this character has picked it up, it's just been, she, like, she intentionally made that choice. And I thought that was really, really interesting that she did that. Um, and listen, Brandon Grugel has been sound designing for actual play and for audio fiction um, before that was, like, a thing people were really excited and good at. Like, he's been doing it from the beginning of Join the Party. We have, a whole thing was we wanted to sound as good as possible from episode one. Mm -hmm. And we wouldn't have been able to do that without his knowledge of, not only equipment, but also teaching everyone how to re uh, record remotely. He moved to LA in February 2020, and he uh, taught everyone in Multitude how to record remotely, so we all had those skills. And unfortunately, he was inside for two years, and then he moved to Seattle. But, uh, you know, he's been doing this for a really long time, and he's really, really good at it. He's probably one, he's one of the best sound designers in the space and has been for over over half a decade. And yeah, Jordan Party is just really great, and everyone everyone's really great on it. Also, I got to shout out Jasper Cartwright, my boy from mm. Games and Feelings, and also from Three Black Halflings and various of the things you've seen in the actual play space. He's just, you know, um, from living in New York City and going to LA a lot, you see so many people who pretend to be interested in your thing, and he genuinely is all the time. If you tell him about something, he's interested in it, and I think it's gotten him so far, and he's so talented and just nice to be around. And he's just a good dude. And I also, I think Three Black Halflings is a great show. And he gave mm. me a lot of language to describe things that made me feel weird about what was going on in Dungeons and Dragons mm. since 2018, or since the show started in 2020. Things I had been feeling since like 2018. Um, and only their conversations have been put in my put in my mouth. And like this is something I it is a professional hazard that I do not listen to a lot of actual play as much as I wish that I did because it mm -hmm. literally all I think about is like I anal I'm analyzing the thing happening and I can't enjoy it. But like hearing their conversations about the space is incredible. And it's a uh, it's a variety of RSS feeds. So there's a lot for everybody. And our closing question is uh what are you bringing to the table? Do you have a recommendation for a person, a game, a show, a resource, anything in the tabletop space? That you think people should check out. I want to shout out world building games. I'm not going to plug my own. Or I'll do that after I plug someone else. But like, Let's be very clear. You just did just then. Fuck. Really <laughs> not Let's be shit. very clear. I, I'm I not going to let you get away say. with that. I, I mean, I really... No, I'm not. I'm not going to say the name. I'm not going to say the name. I'm not going to say where you can find it. I just think that finding world building resources to apply to your campaign is really... Is going to be great for having buy-in for everyone i think if you really just need to it's as simple as you can even use uh look at the quiet year and see how they do it like drawing cards tables it's all just tables so my recommendation is just make some tables with some questions about the world that you might want to be answered and then go around the room 
and roll a die and see who gets to answer that question. And the person, and then everyone gets to contribute, but the person who rolled gets to have final say of what it is. Also, you should uh, read my favorite named tabletop RPG of all time. I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Did you say street magic? <laughs> which I is knew an, it was going to be that uh, one. Which is like, an absolutely said, incredible world building game with an incredible name. Amazing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Excuse I'm sorry. Me. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I know you're at dinner. Did you say street magic? <laughs> I haven't read this game. I got to check this out. Oh, it's, uh, Caro Assertion, I think. Mm, yes, correct. I couldn't Great remember game. their last. I couldn't remember uh, their last name. Great game. It's again about the, kind of the zooming in. It starts out large and then goes deeper and then goes deeper. It's it's another really interesting way to uh, tackle world building outside of just like rolling on a table. Also printed in square format, which you don't often see. And I like Ooh. I like owning the little square. The physical version is a little square book. Uh, oh, that's cool. Fun. I didn't even know that. Yeah. I I mean, I'm sure I have that, but I didn't even think of that. That's awesome. Yeah. You love alternate printing formats. It's very fun. Love it. I'm so, excuse, sorry. I no, was I'm across sorry. the room. I'm so <laughs> sorry. I just got off the train and I was got his and I it caught my ear. Did you say street magic? <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm no, sorry. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I must have misheard you. <laughs> Did you say street magic? Guys, guys, Someone guys. Someone in the room I'm, said street magic. I'm so sorry. We're running low on time here, but I, I just got to check. Did you say street magic? I'm looking at my notes. We have, we have one more question. I'm so sorry. I, I know you have to get it. You have a hard out. Did you say street magic? <laughs> this is what people come for. This is If you're this late in the podcast, be honest. This if is you're, what you stayed if for. If you haven't turned it off in the last 15 seconds, thank you. <laughs> Eric Silver, thank you so much for coming to the table. Uh, do you want to let no pe- people know where they can find you? Absolutely. Um, listen, <laughs> I could do this forever. I, I, in my heart of hearts, I really just want to be everyone's favorite podcast guest, both the listeners and the people making stuff. So I've had a wonderful time. I can record myself. Please have me on your show if you're listening. <laughs> um, but I'm having a great time. You can find me on the internet at L underscore Silvero, E-L underscore S-A-L-V-E-R-O. My name, if I was a Lucha Libre wrestler, that's me on Twitter. But also, I've been on TikTok a little bit lately. It's been really fun. You can find me at Eric the Silver. I'm just kind of following like the D and D memes and making stuff. I've been doing a a series where I make up an NPC on the spot, and I recently just did one where I had no cuts in it, no ed- no edits in it, um, just to show that I'm doing it on the fly. Uh, and it was really it was really really fun. And I editing editing this stuff. I really love Canva. I don't know if you know about it, the browser based like digital. Mm-hmm design thing i love it i love it deeply and it like cap cut and editing on for tiktok is really similar just in terms of like moving things and it kind of being a little bit user friendly um it's been really fun i'm just eric the silver if you want to follow me on tiktok as well and also join the party go listen to it and obviously we'll have all those links in the show notes but if you want more uh gamey type content you can check out the 20-sided newsletter and the many-sided media discord talk about this show my first dungeon 20-sided podcast and quite frankly, anything else we might be making. Uh, those will both be linked in our show notes. Please, if you like this show, if you love the show, rate, review, follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. It does actually help us grow the show, and it just makes us feel all warm and good inside, so we'd really uh, love for you to do that. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I know you're trying to end the so podcast. Sorry. I'm so, uh, sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Did you say street magic? I I did say street magic. I'm oh, so, but did, I, sorry, I, I'm just did. finishing a podcast. I, I, I'm so I'm so sorry. Uh, I yeah, couldn't I'm just hear. Gonna, I had my AirPods in, but I thought yeah, I I'm, heard you hear it say. I, you know what, sir? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I just gotta finish. Sorry. Did you did you say street magic? <laughs> no, I must have said it. It was me. I, I must have said it. Yeah, <laughs> and that's what the table is talking about. <laughs> bye bye. Bye bye. <laughs>